On this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, Lisa Morgan begins the conversation she'll be leading with Bill Crowder and Daniel Ryan Day and Rasul Berry with this question. How would you answer this question about yourself? Who am I? And we'll hear how they respond to that question. Some typical responses and some not so typical responses. And so how would you answer that question? How would you describe yourself? Who are you? Family roles, profession, talents, character traits, our relationship with God, all of that enters into your answer, doesn't it? And so where does Lisa want to go with this? I want to take another stab at this topic of identity in Christ and focus on this one sentence as we think about who we are. And it's this, I am who I am because God is who he is. And so discover with them five things in scripture that are true about you. Five things that can shape how you answer the question, who am I? And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Great to have you at the table with them to explore this question of who am I? Because scripture tells us that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we become new creations. The old has passed away and the new has come. But just what does that mean for you and me? Who are we in Jesus? As Elisa has proposed, understanding who we are rises out of our understanding of who God is and then seeing ourselves in relationship to who he is. So we've got five things that we'll look at in the next hour that are true about you, true about you because of who God is. Okay, so let's get started and listen as Elisa asks Daniel and Bill and Rasul to respond to that question. How would you answer this question about yourself? Who am I? Well, I guess I need to hold up a mirror first. (laughs) And check. You just worded that. (laughs) No, I would start with maybe some of the roles that I have. So Mm -hmm. as a husband Mm -hmm. or a dad or a friend, Mm -hmm. that's probably where I'd start. Yeah, good. I think for me, Elisa, it would depend on what the context was. I mean, if I was in a particular context, I might say, I'm a Bible teacher. Mm-hmm. In another context, I might say, I'm a Liverpool fan. Yep, yep. In another context, I might say, husband, father, mm-hmm. granddad, you know, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So sometimes it might depend on the context. I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. Except on Discover the Word, where Bill brings <laughs> up all those things all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get the more holistic me, Dave. <laughs> I bet you, Russell. You know, it's funny. I struggle with that question so much that I realize I think the answer is I'm complicated. <laughs> Ooh, now <laughs> like, you're going therapeutic. I love it. Yeah, yeah. But, and I struggle between complicated and complex, which mm-hmm. then led me to the next best one, which is I'm indecisive. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. That question just drew out a lot of <sighs> things, but I don't necessarily hold to those as negatives. They're just interesting. Like, I'm like, I don't know how mm-hmm. I would define the least common denominator of who I am. Like, I guess like Bill is kind of like depending on the context. And so I'm hearing you define yourself by just these 
attributes of, you know, your name or where you come from. And then we define ourselves based on the relationships we hold with others or the relationships Mm -hmm. we have with what we do. Okay. And then there's this deeper thing you're talking about, Russell, in terms of our personalities or Mm. the complexity. And, And, you know, we're always evolving, aren't we? We're not done. I'm I'd just love to say if we were done, we'd be dead, right? So we're ongoingly discovering who we really are. And it mm-hmm. includes all those things we just mm-hmm. talked about, right? Yeah, because we really, all of us are complex and complicated. Yeah. And I think we all fall into that same bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is kind of funny, though. None of us mentioned Jesus follower, <laughs> <laughs> Christian. <laughs> so anyway, for what that's worth... Maybe maybe some oh. of the people joining us will mm-hmm. relate to that. Daniel, thank you. Thanks for that segue. You know, a while back, Bill led us in some conversations about our identity in Christ, and that is something really important to think about as we are followers of Jesus. And we centered those conversations on Galatians two twenty, uh, which says, "I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me." And it goes on. And, you know, sometimes we've taken that passage and said, well, I don't really exist anymore like Paul wrote. And so all these things we just described really don't matter and we throw them out. And that's not what we saw as we studied it. But I want to take another stab at this topic of identity in Christ and focus on this one sentence as we think about who we are. And it's this, I am who I am because God is who he is. And actually, I've kind of played around with it, and it's hard to talk about it audially because it's better to see visually. But if you can imagine in your mind these questions, who am I with a small I, me, you, Bill, compared to who am I with a capital I, God himself? You know, how does who God is help us understand who we are? I think about it as this dynamic statement of the basis of our identity, you know, and how that can be in contrast. Like I remember, was it Descartes who said, I I think, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. And so his basis of identity was on his intellect or Mm -hmm. his processing of thoughts. But in contrast to that, I am filling the blank because God is, that is a whole different approach that centers who we are in relationship to who God is. Yeah. And all the things we just said are true, but when we understand them in relationship to who God is, they take on a deeper meaning, don't they? Let's begin with this one. I am an image bearer because God is my creator, the creator. What comes to mind when you think about being an image bearer? I mean, in very simple way just to reflect the look of something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of it as if I'm an image bearer of God, I'm a very imperfect one. (laughs) Whereas Jesus was the perfect representation of who the Father is, I'm a very imperfect representation of him. It's humbling, isn't it? Isn't it? It's like we do represent, we take on the identity, the image, if you will, of the one who made us. You know, there are a couple of places in Scripture, like a million, but two specifically I want to look at. One is in Genesis, the very beginning of Scripture where God actually creates us, and that's Genesis 1, 26 to 27, and the verse 31. And the other one's in Psalm 139. We'll see if we can touch on both of them in this conversation just briefly. 
But let's listen for what God reveals about us being image bearers as he's the creator. Russell, would you start us in Genesis 1, 26? Sure. Genesis 1, 26, uh, 27, and then verse 31. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. What do you notice, especially about what's repeated several times in these verses? Well, it's probably because of the question you asked, but I see the word image several Mm -hmm. times, or in his image, his Mm -hmm. own image. Mm -hmm. And the word that I saw repeated was created over and over again. Okay. And what did he create? Humans, human Uh beings. Uh He says mankind in some translations. Does that mean men or does that mean humans? It means humanity, the human race, right? Good, good. And then in verse 26, it says that he made mankind, humans, the human race, in God's image. That's a loaded term. What do you think that means? Well, it can't have to do with our physical appearance because God's spirit, right? Okay. So it has to have something to do with something about the way we are, the way we operate as human beings is connected to how God operates as God. That is so good, Bill, but but just hold it for a second. Don't we often, though, think about God as looking like us? (laughs) (laughs) And I don't mean just Jesus. I mean, go to Michelangelo's rendition in the Sistine Chapel of God Mm -hmm. the Father reaching across in the creation of Adam. He looks Mm -hmm. like a guy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we do tend to make God in our image, right? And what you're suggesting, which is really rich, is that we don't really know, do we? The representation we have of God is Jesus. And you and I didn't get to see him, actually, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I hear the term image... I think of the historical context of just how loaded that word is. In ancient cultures, the image of God was typically one person, which was the king. Uh So one of the very revolutionary things that as the Hebrew people are telling the story of how human beings came to be, is they're saying, actually, it's not just the king that represents God. We all do. And so that at a very base level is what's happening here with this idea of image. And then the other theme that shows up throughout the scriptures is the image being an idol. Mm -hmm. Maybe part of the reason God says, don't make an image of me is because he's like, I already did that. And that's you. I've made you to be my representatives. So you have those two things at play here. One is a very loaded idea that actually the king is not the son of the gods and the only image bearer. All of us are, and we shouldn't have cast images of God because we are those images of God, those reflections of him. Another element that's repeated, Daniel, and with this image being is the rulership of humankind over all other creation. 
And then, you know, if you go into places like Psalm 139, you're going to see this intricacy of creation where David describes that he was created or formed or brought forth from his mother's womb, that he was fearfully and wonderfully made, that he was knit together in the secret place. There is this both physical and intrinsic element in which we carry God's image stamped in the very essence, right, of who we are. How does that affect your looking at yourself? And how does it affect how you view others? Yeah, I mean, I think about the intrinsic worth, even more than worth, like the sense of value that God attaches to in the responsibility. Like when you said earlier, image bearer, right? I think about that word bearers. Like, how am I carrying this image? It reminds me, you know, when my family would say when I was about to go to college, now remember, you're representing us mm-hmm. like you're mm. you're a representative of us. And so keep that in mind as you go and navigate, because you're not just you, you're representing us. And I feel like that's kind of what that idea is of even the way that we exert our influence and our mm. you know rule, our power is supposed to reflect the way that he did it, which was very charitable and very compassionate to our other people. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I do think there's like a question even before that for me, Elise, and that is, well, first of all, do I actually believe that it's true? Yeah. Because I agree, Rasul, entirely with what you're saying, that as image bearers, how we represent God and, and all that matters, it changes how we see ourselves. But first we have to believe that or trust that mm-hmm. God actually mm-hmm. has given us that kind of intrinsic worth and value and that he's given that intrinsic worth and value to other people. And maybe sometimes even for some of us, it's easier to believe that other people have that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that we don't mm-hmm. for whatever yes. reason that might be. So perhaps as we take away from this concept, you know, I am an image bearer because God created me. I guess I just want to niggle in here. What's the thing we really want to focus on? Do I believe I am God's image bearer or do I hold back from that? And do I view others as God's image bearers, or do I hold back from that? And how might I embrace both, and how might embracing both change the way I relate in my world? Yeah, I kind of feel challenged by both aspects of that, depending on the moment and depending (laughs) on the day. There's times where I find it difficult for me when I mess up, when, you know, I'm just frustrated because I'm not where I envisioned myself to be, or I still have the same nagging forgetfulness or disorganization. And so I can kind of get down on myself and mm-hmm. need to be reminded you're made in the image of God. Like, so you are not your shortcomings and your failures. And, and there's more to you than that. But then sometimes I'm frustrated at other people, <laughs> you know what I mean? In New <laughs> yes. York, there's a lot of reasons why you could be frustrated just because of the density of how many people are around and that rudeness or whatever people trying to take advantage so in those moments it's kind of like okay lord help me remember this person is also mm-hmm. an image bearer too mm-hmm. even if they're not bearing that image in a way that i can receive it right now and to go back <laughs> to daniel's thing rasul as well if i really believe that i'm god's image bearer then i think that creates within me a sense of responsibility to understand better who he is mm-hmm. so that i can then represent him better Yeah, I can't represent him if I don't really know him or his heart. 
like Rasul was saying about how God ruled with generosity and graciousness and compassion, if I know that that's the kind of God he is, then if I'm to represent him, then that needs to be the kind of person I want to become. Yep. It does pivot our understanding when we fill in the blanks these ways to understand ourselves, not just randomly picking the personality traits that come out of a personality test or something, but intentionally defining who we are based on who God is because we are related to him. And that is the basis for where our conversations will be going in this episode. We're going to be reflecting on the question, who am I, through the lens of the statement, I am who I am because of who God is. And that was a great start to look at mainly Genesis chapter 1 and realize that I am an image bearer because God is creator. Well, Elisa wants us to stay in Genesis chapter 1 to find our next way to answer the question and examine further the creation story to discover that you and I are part of a team. And that is a key part of our identity, who we are. I'm just going to dive right in with this question. We've had Carolyn Custis James on Discover the Word many times, and she has really shaped my thinking about men and women, especially in creation, mm-hmm. by the work that she's done, especially in the first three chapters of Genesis, but you know, throughout Scripture. And she defined three things specifically about us that were image bearers, that we're put into a blessed alliance where men and women work together to accomplish God's purposes. And then another word she used, anybody remember it? Co-laborers. Yeah. What did she mean by that term? Wasn't it kind of tied to the blessed alliance idea that mm-hmm. men and women best represent God when they're in this alliance, when they're working together mm-hmm. toward ruling creation with the same love and grace and compassion that God has. And when they do that Mm -hmm. together, that represents the image of God in as full of a way as we can. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to express it, isn't it? But God himself is three in one. Mm -hmm. And when we think about that, that we're made in his image, as we just talked about as image bearers, it's interesting to think that he made us to Mm -hmm. be in relationship with him, but also with each other. Mm -hmm. In Genesis 1, that's where he talks about this creation, and then this rulership, which implies labor, work that's going to be done together. But I'd like us to look for a minute at Genesis 2 and look at this co-laboring element because it's really folded into the text. Can we go around and read Genesis 2 verses 15 to 25? It's kind of long, so let's break it up and read it together. And let's just kind of move through it quickly, okay? Would you start us, Bill? Okay. Genesis 2:15 The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it you will certainly die. So there's labor growing up. Quick in mm-hmm. verse 18, Daniel. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay, pause for a second. That word helper, I remember Carolyn teaching us that it's a Hebrew word. Do you know what it is, Russell? Yes, azer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I always remember it because it rhymes with razor. <laughs> <laughs> so azer, and that word means what? Like warrior. Yeah. 
We read this, it's not good for the man to be alone, I'll make a helper suitable. But really the word means warrior. And as I recall, most of the time in the Old Testament, it's used of God being a warrior for Israel. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Let's keep going here. Verse 19. I'm just going to kind of summarize that. This is where everything is named. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 20, pick it up at the but, Daniel. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And what did the man say, Russell? The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. (laughs) It's a powerful thought as we define ourselves, you know, who am I because of who God is? There's a powerful phrase here. I am helper. I am co-laborer, whether you're man or woman. So this is actually said about the woman. So what are the implications then about a man's identity? Well, first thing that it lets you know is that he needed help or else God wouldn't have provided a warrior to come by his side. A word that I've heard used many times, which is a little bit different from co-laborer, but it kind of captures the idea in a sense is the word co-regent. That Adam and Eve were made co-regents to rule together over the creation God had made. Regent isn't a very familiar word either, Bill. So, I mean, I think about universities or something. Mm. I guess I think about the British monarchy too. But what is that to do with rulership? Yeah. A regent is somebody who rules. And a co-regent is not someone who rules under someone else, but who rules with someone else. Mm. Okay. That's super helpful. And I think some of this plays off of even what is meant when God says something isn't good. Because typically when we think of something not good, we think of it like morally wrong or ethically wrong. But that phrase really is just saying that something's still incomplete in God's creation. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so the incompleteness is that the man is alone and there's no suitable helper that he needs to be found. And so God does this final act of creation to complete creation. Yeah, and I tried to put a little bit of oomph into the response because I imagine that that was, I mean, <laughs> he, the brother broke out in a song. And, yeah. you know, First I, love I, song, yeah. <laughs> I think there was like a mm, mm, mm involved <laughs> with the, his enthusiasm for seeing that God had provided him a partner, a uh, companion. That's so good, Russell. Yeah, could you, could you sing it for us, Rasul, yeah. how that song went? <laughs> So take this concept of both man and woman created in God's image as co-laborers, as incomplete alone, but complete together in expressing who God is, and bring that into the New Testament and how perhaps Paul expresses it. And I'm thinking about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, how Paul describes us. Bill, do you have that? Yeah. Ephesians 2, verse 10, and... I think it's important, Elisa, the context leading up to it is how salvation is all by grace of what God does for us. And we usually stop after verse 9, not of works lest anyone should boast. But then, in a sense, he almost corrects our thinking before we have a chance to think wrongly. Well, if it's not of works, I don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. In verse 10, he says, 
for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, and that is so rich. I'm so glad you brought that out. The contrast between grace and works screams out of that passage. Why can we not earn salvation through our works? Because we're incomplete, (laughs) because we can't do it in our own, because we're, we're fallible, right? But God saves us by grace so that we can do the good works he created us to do. There's this beautiful union of God's grace with our works that make them complete and pleasing to him. Mm-hmm. Just like there's a beautiful union of man and woman as co-laborers that were incomplete by themselves, but are complete hmm. when they are working together in relationship with God. Yeah, I, I think there's a parallel in the Genesis account in here in Ephesians, because it's very clear that God gave Adam first and then Eve everything that they had, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so everything was essentially a grace gift from God. Mm-hmm. And then in Ephesians 2, as Bill mentioned, the context for this verse 10 about work is all about, for it is by grace you have been saved, mm-hmm. you know, through faith, not of yourselves. Mm-hmm. It's the gift of God. So then again, you have another mm-hmm. aspect of gift, but this gift is even more profound and dynamic than anything else because it's covering sin. It's drawing us into relationship. It's this grace that God has given us. And so in the same way that Adam sang when he got the gift of Eve, like we work Mm -hmm. as a response to the gift that God has given us, not Mm -hmm. to earn it, but because it's already Mm -hmm. been given. That's That's really good, Rasul. I think also maybe the key word to me that connects Ephesians 2 back to Genesis 2 is the word we. Mm. We've talked about it a lot on the program, but when we as Western people (laughs) in the United States, when we read the Bible, we tend to, in our heads, kind of transpose all the plural pronouns, the singular pronouns. It's not for I was God's handiwork, although it's true that I was. The emphasis is for we together Mm -hmm. are God's handiwork, just like the man and the woman together were able to do God's work. We together as the body of Christ and in relationship with one another, able to do the work. Yeah, for sure. That word handiwork really means doing. It's God's doing. It's God's creation. It's his end product. It's his power at work in us. And that's incredibly empowering, isn't it? You know, How does this understanding that I am co-labor because God has made me, because he's the equipper, how does that affect us in our everyday? I mean, I constantly going, well, I can't do this, Lord. You asked me to, you know, I'm not equipped. But how does understanding my identity as I'm a co-laborer because he's the equipper, how does that shape me and change me? To me, that's huge. Ephesians 2.10 is like my life verse. And so is I think really about not? the implications. Like there's another passage First Peter, where it talks about that he has made us partakers of the divine nature mm-hmm. through which we can escape the lust in the mm-hmm. world. I mean, that's a crazy thought, like partakers yeah. of divine nature. Like God is saying, hey, how about we work together and partner together mm-hmm. to be about this work of redemption? What, me? Who, me? Mm-hmm. Like I get mm-hmm. to be a partner with God. And that aspect of uh, handiwork in the Greek is poema which is where we get the word poem from. We're literally like his poem. 
And I think about what that means in terms of how I see myself and what I should be doing, therefore, with my time and with my life. It should be done in a way where I'm trying to give glory to the one who, you know, who made me because that's what he made me for. Mm -hmm. And I think about it in really practical terms, too, how quickly we move from feeling okay about things and working hard to feeling stressed and overwhelmed and anxious. And typically one of the symptoms or causes of anxiousness and stress and worry is when we start trying to put too much on ourselves and trying to do it on our own or when we think that we have to accomplish something without help or whatever. So on a very practical level, the encouragement I hear in this is that, hey, when you're stressed out and anxious, take a step back because you're probably trying to carry this by yourself. And the good news here is that you're a co-laborer. It's not all about you and what you can do because God's with you. And not only is he with you, but he surrounded you with others who are with you to do this work together. That was one of the toughest lessons for me to learn when I was a pastor, that the job of the pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, not to do the ministry. Mm-hmm. And it's just like Rasul was saying about Ephesians 2 verse 10, that Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 text where Paul talks about that, to me was one of the most liberating things I ever learned when I was young in ministry. Mm-hmm. I hope we are liberated, empowered, freed by this concept that uh, I am a co-laborer because God is the equipper and he made me to be in relationship with himself Mm. and with others to accomplish his kingdom purposes. Yeah, that is a great observation and another perspective from scripture on how we can answer the question, who am I? Taking into consideration that I am who I am because of who God is. I am a co-laborer. I'm not in this alone. I'm part of a team. I am a co-laborer because God is equipper. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And then when Elisa and Bill and Daniel and Rasul come back, they're going to go to some parts of the New Testament written by Jesus' disciple John, where he talks about the subject of love and what an impact on us it can have to realize that we are loved by God. You are his beloved daughter. You are his beloved son. That's who you are. Well, that part of the conversation after this message. Now, as Elisa leads the group in our study this week, I want to point you toward another podcast that she does with Our Daily Bread Ministries. It's a podcast for women called God Hears Her. And in fact, season six of God Hears Her starts this week, the first week of August, 2022. And so join Elisa and co-host Aaron Eddy as they share stories of how God shows up in the everyday and the unusual events in life to help you mature in your faith. They have great guests that join them to tell their stories and to share what God has equipped them to do and opportunities they've been given. For example, coming up in season six, A young woman from Nigeria named Kechi Akwuchi tells her story. So I was 16 years old at this time. Final year of high school. I was going home for the Christmas holidays. This was December 10th, 2005. And, you know, being a boarding school, the students live all over Nigeria. You fly in from all over Nigeria to come to this school, right? So it was very routine that I would fly back and forth. I remember that day we left the campus, got to the airport, 61 of us, we boarded the plane, regular commercial plane, there were 109 passengers on board, including the flight crew and us students. And the flight took off and everything was normal. Yeah, but 
About 15 minutes before reaching their destination, they hit major turbulence. Everyone started screaming. It was just chaos in the cabin. You could hear people praying at the top of their lungs. And I remember my friend, she was looking at me and her eyes were huge. And the last thing I remember is we held hands. And then it was like this metal scraping sound that like I remember just like jarred my brain, like my senses, and then just darkness. It was just darkness. Ketchy sustained horrible injuries in that crash, the burns being the worst. And it wasn't until several months later that she learned the extent of what had happened. The truth was that out of 109 people that were on the plane, only two survived. It was myself and another lady who I didn't know prior to the accident. So all the kids, all my friends' classmates that were on the plane were also gone. Yeah, learn how her faith sustained her in her long and difficult recovery and how and why she came to the United States and how she got a spot on America's Got Talent. That episode with Ketchi Akwuchi is part of season six of God Hears Her. And so if you or someone you know needs a reminder that God sees you, he hears you, and he loves you because you are his. Well, we invite you to listen to this weekly podcast. Lots of good stuff coming up in season six. Find God Hears Her wherever you get your podcasts. And now part three of our consideration of how to answer the question, who am I? In light of the statement, I am who I am because of who God is. Deep inside all of us, and I don't care who you are, what age you are, and you may not be able to admit it, but I really think there's a core, core, core need to be loved. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So much so, I remember uh, reading a book called Changes That Heal with Dr. Henry Cloud and Mm. and Townsend, and they mentioned how babies, when they're born, need to feel touch and connection and Mm -hmm. not just food. Like, they won't grow as much even if you give them everything else that they need, but not the sense of love. And that was really striking to me mm-hmm. of how essential that aspect of us being love is to our just even health and growth and development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Russell, if I can jump on that, I was a psych major and I remember watching this video about a human attachment. This mom was sitting in a room with a baby and every time she'd feed the baby and then she'd stop feeding it, and the baby would regurgitate. You know, babies sometimes do that. Then the mom would feed again, and then the baby would do that again. The mom would feed again, and the baby. And what they learned is that the baby would actually spit up because he didn't want to lose the contact with the mom. Wow. And that's such a powerful illustration mm. of our drive to be attached, to be connected, to be loved. Yeah. I think it says a lot about what the scriptures tell us about God's concerns for orphans. Mm. It just seems to me that when God over and over and over again talks about his concern for orphans, there's something in that that we ought to pay attention to. And widows. Yeah. Sure. And both having to do with attachment, being loved. You know, here's a question that's kind of stumped me at times. Do you think our need to be loved is a result of creation or the fall? Yes. <laughs> no, I do think both are true. I think... God created us to be objects of his love, and that means that we were made to be receivers of love. So if that isn't being 
filled, then our life is not going to be what it's supposed to be. But in the same time, I think because we're broken, we probably feel that need more acutely. Yeah. And I would say too, did love exist only after the fall? Well, no, it existed before creation in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and their relationship. And so in order for them to have this like aspect of love in their relationship, then there couldn't be something lacking, right, or incomplete within God. And so even the fact that there's love that exists before creation to me shows that interplay of the two-directional aspect of love is important. And so, Mm. yeah, I think the need for love is pre-fall in some ways, but the fact that maybe we need it in more desperate ways or twisted ways or things like that are what comes as a result of the fall. I've been talking about the need for love, and I've also used the word attachment, and I think you hit on both of them, you know, Daniel. It's like our need for love, need always sounds incomplete, but that's the way we were made. We were made incomplete without relationship, right? So our need for love is created within us. But what's happened at the fall is that we fell and broke in terms of the connection that we were created to experience with God is broken. And so therefore, we have a need for love at creation and a different kind of need for love, a reparative need for love, if you will, after the fall. Mm -hmm. And I wonder about how we can understand who we are if we were created to be loved how do we understand that identity by looking at who God is? You know, we're looking at who am I because of who God is. And I want to take us to one of the really powerful passages in the New Testament about his loving nature and ours. And this is in 1 John 4. We're going to look at verses 7 to 21. But what's happening in 1 John? Well, at this point, this is later in the Apostle John's life and ministry. You know, he's kind of the elder, older statesman, but Mm -hmm. he's really trying to center them in the foundations of what he really drew from Jesus in the beginning. Okay. Yeah, I think think you're onto it there, Rasul. And I think there's also, if I can just add one component, most of the letters that we get in the New Testament are written to correct something. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you go through 1 John, his first letter, whoever this group was that he was writing to apparently had some misunderstanding about what God is like and what love is like because he spends so much of the letter talking about love and how God expresses it and how we receive it. So a great place for us to focus because we get a little confused about what God is like Mm -hmm. and what love is like, don't we, Bill? You know, I want to pull out one verse, and then we'll go back. First John 4, what does verse 16 say? So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. So John's writing here, you know, the source of love is God yeah. himself, making that abundantly clear. And so for you and I, if we're going to understand who am I because of who God is— God is love. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean about who I am? Now go back to verse 7, Russell, and then Bill, would you get verses 19 to 21 again in 1 John 4? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So we're going to evidence 
God's mm-hmm. being if we know him. We're going to mm-hmm. evidence it. And then Bill, verses 19 to 21. Okay. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Yeah. This is a lot of loved, 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 loved words. <laughs> what does this mean as we try to understand who am I because of who God is? Well, there are multiple Greek words for love, but the one that's most often used to describe God's love is the word agape, which really talks about a self-sacrificial love where self is sacrificed for the benefit of the person that you love. Okay. So it's a selflessness, which we're not capable of really evidencing without God's help. We need his help for that. I want to go back to verse 7, and I think your translation, Russell, said, Dear friends. Yep. Many other translations use the word beloved. Mm-hmm. And beloved is the same word, dear friends. It really means those who are precious to me, those who are in relationship with me, those who have called to evidence who I am. Beloved is who God has made us to be. We were created to be beloved because we were incomplete without being in relationship with God and without being in relationship with each other. And we were redeemed to be beloved after we lost Mm -hmm. our attachment to him at the fall. Both of those realities. And so now, isn't John writing to first century believers and you and me, who are you? You are God's beloved. Now, love each other. Mm -hmm. You are God's beloved. Derive your love by being attached to God and express your love in attachment to God by being attached to others, Mm -hmm. right? And it's not just something you do in word. I'm going to share my lunch or I'm going to be inclusive where I'd rather be independent or, or whatever. This is an intrinsic characteristic that we evidence God's love in our relationships. Yeah. And John challenges that by addressing something that is difficult, which is if you hate your brother and sister, then you are not loving. Right. So, and that's a theme that shows up, you know, Bill mentioned what he might be addressing in this letter. It's one of the themes that shows up multiple times in chapter two as well. You're not in the light if you're hating a brother and sister. You're not walking in the light. You're not loving if you're hating a brother or sister. Mm -hmm. And so part of that invitation here is doing the very difficult things sometimes, which is to love others, especially those maybe that we find difficult to love. Yeah, and I find it really interesting in the light of that, Daniel, that so much of the time in our Western culture, followers of Christ are generally viewed as being unloving by the culture. If our main task is to love because he first loved us, then somewhere along the way we're not getting that job done because at a cultural level we are perceived as being unloving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one thing that's just kind of leaping out at me is the word relationship has been mentioned so much. And I think about how God is in relationship and in, in community with himself throughout eternity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so if we're made in his image, like we talked about a couple conversations ago, then wouldn't that mean that we also, part of bearing 
his image is also reflecting this loving relationship with others that we can't do that by ourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where it really hits home. And I used to be kind of bugged by how John in his gospel would describe himself as the beloved <laughs> disciple. I was like, well, you're so special. But, you know, when I've gone back and, and looked at those and then see his writing here in this letter, he says, I saw four instances, for example, in John 13, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table next to him. John 19:26 When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby he said woman here is your son John 21:7 Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter it is the Lord And then John 21:20 Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him What I see is this integration in John he got it that His identity in Christ, if you will, is I am beloved because God is love. And I think that changes us. We don't always act it out perfectly, but if we can embrace it unapologetically, because that's both who God created us to be and that's who God redeemed us to be, Mm -hmm. then we get it and then we, we receive it and then we express it in our world. Yeah, that's true. What a great reminder that you and I were created to love and to be loved. We are God's beloved. You are God's beloved son. You are God's treasured and valued daughter. And so who am I? Well, I am beloved because God is love. You're part of the conversation on the Discover the Word podcast with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Well, DIY, you know what that means, right? Yeah, do it yourself. But have you ever gotten into a DIY project and discovered that you couldn't DIY? You needed someone to come in and rescue you in that situation. Well, in this next segment, we're going to discover that in our relationship with God, it's not DIY. It's I need to be rescued. And so who am I? I am rescued because God is Savior. Can you describe a time when you felt like you were in danger and you needed to be rescued? Does that ever happen? Definitely for me. My family would go to Ocean City, Maryland every summer. And one time I was out with my uncle on the you know shore and there was a sandbar. And I was like, I'm going to try to swim to the sandbar. But there was a pretty strong riptide. And I was starting to struggle and, mm. and go down and... My uncle, who was a firefighter, was able to come and scoop me up and bring me back to safety. But it was uh, pretty scary. How old were you? I was like 12, 13. Wow. So you kind of think you should be able to handle it inside yourself. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, sometimes you don't know what's happening Mm -hmm. on the beach that can make what seems like an easy swim a lot harder. Ocean is a humbling entity, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I can go the extreme other side on weather. Uh, so one time <laughs> when I was, I don't know, seven, six, seven, something like that, we had a blizzard in North Carolina. And I remember just getting stuck in the snow and I couldn't mm-hmm. move. And mm-hmm. my dad had to come and pull me out of the snow because it was so high. Mm. Yeah. He had to literally pick me up and carry me back to the house. Man. It probably wasn't even that scary, like if I could look back now, but at the time I remember being pretty scared. Yeah. 
Wow. And I was thinking about a situation where I was in college and I was driving and it was late at night. I think I'd been at the library or something. I was driving back to where I lived and I looked in the rearview mirror and there was a man in a car following me. And I, mm. I did the whole thing where I turned quickly and went downside and he went right with me. And I was so freaked out. I was alone. I was in my early, early 20s. I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know where a police station was to drive into. I finally pulled into the parking lot by where I lived. And I remember running as fast as I could to the front door, which was secured and did my code and got in just as he like pulled his car right up to the the steps. I was absolutely terrified. Mm -hmm. And I think (laughs) that describes what I'm trying to get at here. You know, there are times in our lives when we, if we can put ourselves in these situations that we're all talking about, whether it's a riptide or it's the blizzard or it's a predator or whatever, let your heart kind of speed up and you realize the desperation of your plight Mm -hmm. to need to be rescued. And, you know, as we continue this conversation about who am I because of who God is, this next element, we can kind of keep it at an arm's distance and just be all heady about it. But I'd like for us to think about it on a more intrinsic level. You know, we are actually rescued. We really are because our God is a redeemer. And that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Like you said, in those terms, it really is hard to get our hands on it. It feels very abstract. But for me, I go back to the day that I came to Christ. I was a student at a Bible college when I came to Christ. And I remember the emotion of it was so overwhelming that I had a friend take me to the local bus station. And I got on a bus and rode that bus like 10 hours home just so I could tell my mom and dad in person that I had come to know Christ because the emotion of it was so overpowering. You're going into the the reality of what I want to invite us to experience. You know, we've been talking about moments in our lives when we can remember being in danger and needing to be rescued, and we've all talked about kind of a physical rescue from without. But, Bill, you're bringing up the issue of maybe a time when we realized just hugely that we needed to be rescued from within. We needed to be rescued from ourselves, okay, from ourselves. What does that do to you? You know, in that moment where you go, I need to give my life to God, what motivates that? What is that experience really like? We may be 40 years down the road from that moment, you know, it's hard to recall it. But it's not hard for me to recall it on a daily Mm. basis when I pay attention to what I need to be rescued from. How about you guys? Yeah, I I think about being in college, and I actually recently come to faith in Christ. But, you know, I'm on my own for the first time and ended up in a relationship that in which it was unhealthy spiritually, you know, otherwise. And just being like, I want this too much to end it sorry god i'm this is where i'm going and it was like i'm taking this path regardless of where it leads me how far it may lead me away from you like consciously and it ended up that ironically on another trip to where my family was going to go to ocean city maryland and i invited this person to go with me she broke up with me right before going to the trip and it was like 
God breaking through the glass. And it really transformed my understanding of grace because I was not the hero in the story. My sense of strength wasn't. I was just kind of committed going down a bad path. And when I think Mm -hmm. about that, it humbles me, but it also gives me a great sense of appreciation. And I remember how that felt of being stuck, but also like, I'm just going to keep going down Mm -hmm. this hill and him just rescuing literally me from myself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You said, you know, what was kind of the trigger behind it? For me, it was, I was in a chapel service at the Bible college and the person who had brought the message that morning helped me to really see for the first time what it meant to God that I was a sinner and how much he did love me. Mm. And because of my sin, how unworthy I was of that love, but how much God loved me anyway. And uh, that was really the trigger for me. Mm. I want to take us to a couple of places in Scripture. And, And let's keep this emotion and this presence of mind of how we needed to be rescued, this experience of it. Let's keep it front of mind here. The first passage I want us to read together is Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 9. Daniel, could you start us? Sure. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Who am I? I am rescued, because who is God? He is Savior. What kind of rescue language do you see in those verses? Well, the word saved Mm -hmm. is the first one in verse 5. It is by Mm -hmm. grace you have been saved. And the clear implication is that if you had to be saved, you were saved from something to something else. Okay. And the word that jumps out to me is dead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we talk about what can we really do to make this happen for ourselves. Well, if we're dead, we're not doing nothing. (laughs) So (laughs) the fact that Paul makes it very clear, no, you are completely, you brought nothing to this. You are dead in your sins. And then God gets involved to rescue us. Yeah. 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 What hits me is raised us up because I think about that moment of drowning in Ocean City and how I was underwater and my uncle raised me up, right? Mm -hmm. And just pulled me up. And that that's what's happening to us in our relationship with Christ. And, and you're really bringing up these um, whose job is what, <laughs> that, that question <laughs> in these. You know, what role do we play in the rescue? And, you know, Bill, you were saying that pretty much nothing. Daniel, you were saying pretty much nothing. It's God who does it. It's grace that does it. We're dead. And if you're dead, you're not doing anything, correct? Mm. And yet, Russell, as you were using in your illustration, you were resolute to go down the hill, as you described it, of this relationship, regardless of what God was saying. Is there some kind of role we play in this understanding our identity of I'm rescued because my God is Savior? Well, when he describes salvation as a gift, a gift has to be received. A gift can be refused. Okay. And a gift has to be received. But as far as the Lord's role in it, I mean, Jonah 2 verse 10 says, salvation is of the Lord. Good. And that is probably the most definitive statement in all the scriptures 
about God's role. It comes from him. John 3.16, so familiar to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There's that rescue language. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world Mm -hmm. through him. Rescue language again. What role do you see there? Whoever believes. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. to an extent, sometimes that question is a matter of perspective, right? Like Uh from God's perspective, he is seeking and inviting response. Yet from our perspective, there's more of an emphasis on the fact that God initiated and even gave me the ability to Mm -hmm. respond in the first place. So I think both are true. It's just a matter of almost like which aspect is being emphasized in that particular Mm -hmm. moment in that particular text. And in different parts of the Christian community, Russell, different aspects of that are emphasized because I know in the years that I was traveling to Russia and teaching over there, over there in the Christian church, the emphasis is on repentance They don't talk about this is when I came to Christ or this is when I got saved. They say, this is when I repented. Mm. And so it's very strongly that language of repentance Mm -hmm. as they see their part in Mm -hmm. what's going on. So it really is a matter of emphasis in some ways. And I think sometimes, too, when we talk about words like believe or accepting a gift or whatever, we paint a picture of almost needing to like fully comprehend what's happening fully understand it, fully embrace it, and then it's real. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the story that the Bible paints is people that are limping into this belief, who are, you know, Lord, I think I believe, help my unbelief. You know, like Mm -hmm. I can't, (laughs) I can't get my mind around Mm -hmm. what's happening right now. But even that word belief, trust, right, is a Mm -hmm. good translation of that as well. And so you just have this like, Lord, I want to believe this Mm -hmm. is enough. I want to receive this is enough. It can be just as simple as, again, limping into it and wanting to receive the gift that God gives. I think it's true, Daniel, for every one of these elements we've been discussing, you know, there's a now and not yet element to them. I am rescued because my God is Savior. I experience that every day. You know, you're talking about the downhill slope, Russell, of bad choices. Well, I've got them every day. What am I going to do? Am I going to live aware of my need to constantly be rescued because I have a Savior? There's a beginning understanding of that, and then there is an ongoing embrace of that identity. I'm rescued because my God's Savior and because, boy, I have needed to be rescued, and I still do, every single day. So true, isn't it? Who am I? According to Scripture, I am rescued because God is Savior. That's who I am. It's not DIY. I needed Jesus to do it for me and to rescue me. In that sense, I am who I am because of who God is. Well, we've got one more way to answer the question, who am I? And it has to do with recognizing that we are a work in progress. And an observation from the Apostle Paul that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We'll explore that together right after we take time out to preview what we'll be talking about in the next Discover the Word podcast. The group's pretty excited about having our resident Bible geography expert here at Our Daily Bread Ministries, 
Dr. Jack Beck, back with us for our next Discover the Word podcast. We're glad you're with us. You know, you're a geographical hoodoo. I don't know what you call it, but I just made that up. Uh, You know, you're all into geography and geography and scripture and popped our thinking on so many occasions. Yeah, I hope so, Lisa. I'm a Bible geographer. You're not a hoodoo? Okay. Not a hoodoo. (laughs) Although I'll consider changing the title on my business cards if you insist. I love the outdoors. And so it seems really natural to me that I would study the outdoorness of the Bible stories that we know so well, the geographical qualities of those stories, and uh, see what happens when we look more carefully at the way in which God has chosen to speak to us in the Word when He chooses to speak geographically. And Jack will take us to the Gospel of John to discover five geographical firsts in the life of Jesus. Don't miss another fun and insightful episode with Jack Beck on the next Discover the Word podcast. And so now let's join the last part of this conversation about who am I as Elisa begins by asking this question with kind of a playful smirk on her face. Are you done? Are you guys done? (laughs) Sure. How would you answer that? (laughs) That's another one of those questions that depends on the context. My wife knows when we're out to eat that I'm done if I ask the server to bring me a box to take the rest of it home in. There you go. I often say I'm done at you know with an emotional situation. I'm just done, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I can do yeah. that. Yeah, see, the emotion helps because if you just ask, are you done? Then we're like, uh-huh. no, we've got to record for at least another 11 minutes or Brian's going <laughs> to lose his mind. Then he'll Have be a done. <laughs> then he'll be done. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that question comes like, are you done? Like, oh, yeah, oh. that's true. <laughs> like carrying on. Like that's something, you know, like, are you oh, finished so with this tantrum? Are you done? Yeah, it's it's, can it's I a little stop different listening? when somebody asks us if we're done as mm-hmm. opposed to us saying we're done, isn't it? Yeah. But then there's that wonderful moment of being done with a semester or done with a project yeah. or mm-hmm. done with a test or done raising your children. <laughs> Does that ever happen? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not done in that. <laughs> yeah. And you never will be. They will yeah. never stop being your kid. There's never an ending to it. Yeah, I'm fond of saying if we were done, we'd be dead. It's one of my little mantras. You know, as long as we're breathing, we're still mm-hmm. in relationship. We're still working. We're still learning. We're still growing. God willing, we're still loving. We aren't finished. I remember Steve Green having a song in the 70s or the 80s about he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And I love that concept. And it brings us to one more element I want to consider in this conversation about our identity in Christ. Who am I based on who God is? You know, I am blank because God is blank. But before we go into this last one, I would love to review for a second. So what have we said so far? We've said fill in the blank. I am blank because God is blank an image bearer because God is creator. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I am beloved because God is love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am co-laborer because God is equipper. Yeah. And then we talked about I am rescued because God is savior. All of these are initial understandings that are like epiphanies. You know, our mind goes and we go, oh man, that's what I am. 
and it changes us. But then we have this ongoing discovery mm. of what that means in our lives, yeah. what that means, who God is, what that means about us. And because we forget all the time, right? Oh, like really? We forget <laughs> that we're co-laborers. We forget that we're beloved. And then all of a yeah. sudden we hear that again and we think, oh, wow, that's great. I should remember mm-hmm. that. And then we forget <laughs> it again. <laughs> and then we beat ourselves up because we didn't remember it. Mm-hmm. And then we were reminded again that God will make that okay. Yeah, that's what it means to mm-hmm. be sanctified, to use a fancy theological word. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. You know, that's what it means. This last one, I really think, is kind of a climactic one because it really expresses what we just said. And the last one is, I'm not finished because God is completer. I'm going to be under construction for my entire mm-hmm. life. <laughs> and maybe the most memorable scripture that underlines that is Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. There are a couple of others I might want to touch on, but Russell, can you read us that? Philippians 1, yeah, 4 to 6. love to. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Co-laborers. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Partnership. Mm-hmm. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And that's the verse that that Steve Green song was based on, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have trouble remembering the exact words because I just sing Steve's words. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's exactly right. What do you see in that verse? The first thing that jumps out is the reminder Bill gave us in an earlier conversation about when we see you, we think me, the individual, but mm-hmm. throughout the New Testament, the you is the corporate, the church, all of the Jesus followers together. And so this good work that God is working on and that he will work on until completion, my translation actually has among you who began a good mm-hmm. work among you. The, mm-hmm. this, so it's a corporate work. Yeah, God is doing the work, yes, in us, but around us and through us and through Mm. others and all of that together. Mm. Yeah, to me, I notice all of who's at play here. There are many different beings at work in this verse, right? All my prayers, this is Paul, for all of you, this is the Church of Philippi, because of your partnership. So already there's a partnership happening that involves the Church of Philippi doing some stuff too with Mm -hmm. Paul. And then Mm -hmm. he who began a good work, I think that's God the Father, will continue it to the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, and then one other thing. So the people are involved, but then also time is involved. Mm -hmm. We'll carry it on to completion until the day. Ah. So there's a timing involved yeah. that even when everybody comes together and does everything perfectly, it's still not going to be done until mm-hmm. Jesus says it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that until the day part of it, Russell, reminds me of 1 John 3, where John writes, for when we see him, we will be made like him, for mm-hmm. we will see him as he is. Mm. And who could wait for that? So is that the work? That will be brought to completion, Bill. Is that what you think Paul's meaning? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what he was talking about in Romans eight twenty nine, where he mm-hmm. said that it's God's purposes for us to be conformed to the image of his son. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the good work, making us corporately and as a result of that, us individually more like his son, Jesus, a work which will be completed in the day of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. 
And that understanding of completed, it really means finished, yeah. accomplished. You know, there is an end. There is an end, yeah. but it's yeah. God's job to bring it to the end. And again, as we've been talking about this tandem, we cooperate with him. One of the things that pops out to me that I love is that Paul is vision casting in this verse. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with what? Joy. 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 Joy, because it's like he can see the end. He can see the promise. He can see who we are, they are, he is, because of who God is. Mm -hmm. He can see that eventually that work is going to be completed, and we're going to look like Jesus, as you said, Bill, because God will bring it Mm -hmm. to completion. Now, let's look at one more section of Scripture here. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Daniel, would you grab that? Sure. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What images do you see in the wording there that Paul uses that help you understand Mm. this promise of completion? Well, the word guarantee, a deposit, it's like collateral or a down payment or something like that, but it guarantees, which kind of ties back into Philippians 1, where he says he's confident. He's not just Mm -hmm. hoping it's all going to turn out okay. He's confident that this is going to happen. And in Ephesians 1, he says he's confident because God has guaranteed it. Mm -hmm. God has guaranteed it, yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, too, if that's where some of the encouragement for us comes because it kind of helps us be confident at times because mm-hmm. we can see the Holy Spirit working in us at times, not always, mm-hmm. right? There's mm-hmm. times where we lose sight of that or don't feel it or don't trust God or whatever. But there are times where we can look back in our lives and see like, oh, I did trust God there. Or the Holy Spirit is making me more like mm-hmm. Jesus by loving this person I've had a hard time loving or whatever. And so not only is it confidence in God, but it helps us to be confident as well. Paul says you were marked with a seal, and that's supposed to give you confidence, right, Daniel? The promised Holy Spirit. What do you think that language might represent, marked with a seal? The seal was used to close up scrolls. It was like a wax, melted wax, and then a ring or some kind of of tool would imprint an image on it, and it was a symbol of ownership. I think that's exactly right. And I often think of an engagement ring given between mm. couples. Um, I promise that I'm going to marry you. <laughs> and then the wedding ring, I promise yeah. to be married to you. And it is a promise of what's to come. It makes something secure. It's a guarantee. We've used these words. And then 1 Corinthians one mm. eight. Paul writes, God will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, underlining God's Mm -hmm. the one who does this. You know, so Mm -hmm. we are unfinished. What freedom again, because God is the completer. I don't have to complete it. I just need to stay in relationship with him. And we've listed, you know, five different elements of who we are because of who God is. But this fill in the blank exercise really can be used for a number of things we haven't even talked about in this conversation. Do you think of any other examples? Can you fill in the blank with any other concepts from Scripture? I am blank because God is blank. The first one that came to mind, and I don't know how this is related at all to what we're talking about, but it popped in my mind, so I'll share it. But we are wise because He is wise. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, and wisdom is 
God's way, not my way. And because I'm related to him, I get to experience that quality. Yeah, that's what it looks like, Daniel. We are included because he is welcome. So good. Uh, We are holy because he is holy. So powerful. (laughs) We are healed because he is the healer. I just want us to take that sentence with us and let it be our keepsake and a reminder. Ask God to speak to you through that sentence, through his word. Who are you because of who he is? Oh God, you are listener and therefore we can speak. Thank you for giving us your word that we might have an understanding of who we are because of who you are. And as we try to apply these concepts, would you bring to our remembrance various scriptures and what they mean for our identity in you? Would you remind us of who you say that we are? God, as we approach you and approach our lives every day, would you woo us through your Holy Spirit to fill in this blank and understand our relationship with you? I am blank because you are blank. We are blank because you are blank. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Elisa. Great conversations on our identity, helping us to answer the question, who am I? By filling in the blank in that sentence, I am blank because God is blank. I am who I am because of who God is. And I found that really helpful to be reminded that I am unfinished because God is completer. And he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Well, this is the Discover the Word podcast with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And we want to thank you for helping us to make these resources that Our Daily Bread Ministries produces available to people in over 150 different countries around the world. It is the voluntary giving of friends like you that makes it possible for millions around the world each day to engage the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible. We invite you to partner with us by giving online at discovertheword.org. Just click the Donate tab. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.